Father, we bow before you again this morning. We humble ourselves before the God of heaven and earth, the one who's created every soul in this room, every soul on planet earth. Lord, you came and you sent your son to die for our sins, Lord, and we're grateful for that. But Lord, we just intercede for all those that don't know you. Lord, those that uh, may be in the White House and in Congress and the Supreme Court and business, businesses and academics and our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. People will see perhaps this afternoon at Christmas gatherings of family that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray that you'd open their eyes, that you would shine the light of the gospel into their hearts. And Lord, you'd use us as your lights and witnesses. But Lord, also in this room, uh, Lord, even our righteousness we know is filthy rags. And we pray that you'd wash and cleanse us in this room. Forgive us of our shortcomings, Lord. Bring a great awakening to this church family, the church in America, the church around the world. Uh, Lord, awaken your church. Lord, we pray that you would just turn people from their sins and their idols in our nation and just the gods of, of self and pleasure. And Lord, we pray that there just be an outpour. Even next uh, Sunday on New Year's Day, many people would say, let's, let's start the year and go. And, and Lord, people would come to saving faith. We'd see souls saved here. We pray for the nation uh, this morning of Ecuador as we've been praying for one country per day. We know you love the people of Ecuador. We pray for a revival in that nation and around the world. And we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters this morning. We pray that you would bring them out of bondage. Lord, give them your peace. And Lord, those that are stuck on highways or without power or homesick with the flu or COVID or in a hospital with a recent surgery, we pray your healing graces upon them and rescue them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and as you find your seat, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. I promised to only preach for two hours today, so you know, you go, you're in good shape. I'm kidding. I don't even do that on a normal Sunday, so those of you that are visiting, is that normal? No, 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 that's not. Now, that was not unusual in the 1800s, so if you want to go back to churches back then, it could be an all-day affair. But uh, we're going to get into just a few verses that you probably know. We're in the book of John, and I've been uh, stepping away from the book of John the last couple of weeks to focus on this uh, Christmas season. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them when the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Any of you guys think Herod was interested in this? Of course not. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, 
they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Right there, you know that us getting on our knees is totally biblical. They fell on their knees. They fell on their faces, actually, not just on their knees. They fell prostrate. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate that Jesus has come. And not just that you've come, but Lord, if, you've, if we've been saved, you come into our hearts. And Lord, you're coming again. We, we look forward to the same anticipation that the early uh, uh, century, that first century, they were looking forward to your first coming. We are looking forward to your second coming, but we are celebrating your first coming because it is so necessary for our salvation and was necessary. And Lord, we're grateful for it. And thank you for this time this morning that we can remember these things and treasure them. And Lord, give our lives to you as gifts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The promise of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the Christ, the Redeemer of Israel, and the one who would save his people, and any souls that would come to him by faith, had been promised for hundreds of years. And even from the beginning, written in the pages of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah was coming. And with the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary, that's recorded in Luke's gospel, then the angel came to Joseph. We don't know which angel it was, but we know that Gabriel came to Mary, then an angel comes to Joseph to assure him that Mary's pregnancy was pure, that it was indeed accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And finally, there was an innumerable company of angels. See, so one angel comes to Mary, that Gabriel. Then an angel comes to Joseph in a dream. Then finally, there's an innumerable company of angels that are in the sky. Innumerable, you can't count how many there were. And they proclaimed to the shepherds in Bethlehem the good tidings of great joy that the Savior has been born. So we have this angelic progression of proclaiming to Mary what would happen that then comes to Joseph, telling Joseph what was happening, and then finally to the shepherds, telling them what has happened. The announcements each came from heaven, and Jesus had now come down from heaven. By the time the wise men get here, Jesus had been there. So as we look at yet another facet this morning of this glorious entrance of Christ into the world, the story of Jesus, we know his entrance began in Nazareth, up there in Galilee, the city where Mary and Joseph were from, where they received this astounding news and the responsibility that they would be given not just a son, but they would be given the Son of God. Can you imagine being told, you get to raise the Son of God? But the story shifted from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus gave this decree, the census would be taken. And that's where the birth of Jesus is then witnessed, we looked at this last week, by Mary, by Joseph, and by a small group of shepherds. That's the only witnesses. Tiny little group. 
wasn't a megachurch. Small group of people witnessed the birth. The promise of the Messiah had been revealed by angels, proclaimed by the shepherds after they left the baby in a manger. And here, in Matthew chapter 2, close to two years later, the promise, who is Jesus himself, he is the promise, now remains in Bethlehem with his earthly parents. They did not go back to Nazareth. They're still in Bethlehem. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, The Promise Remains. We don't know exactly when, but sometime in the prior two years, while Jesus was first announced and, and then born in Bethlehem, another sign was taking place in another part of the world that no one in Judea knew about. Did you know that God is doing things in other parts of the world that you don't know about <laughs> right now? Did you know that God is sending signs to people all over this world that you have no idea is happening? Aren't you glad God is doing that? Because you and I can't reach them all. Amen. We're not even good at it here. But God was sending a sign to another place. And another sign was sent from heaven, and it was appearing in the east. And a group of magi, men who were considered wise because their dedication to continuous study, men that studied many things, a broad range of things, but prominent, most prominent among their studies was astronomy, mathematics, the stars. Not just the mapping of the stars, but also the meaning of the stars because they had both their religion and science mixed, kind of like it's happening again today in a bad way. Something caught their eye that was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. God had placed a star in the sky that captured their full attention. I mean, everything else kind of just faded away. In Galilee, in Judea, the Lord had announced the arrival of the Messiah to the Jews. That's where the announcement came to the Jews. But the star in the east, God was speaking to who? The Gentile world. Both groups got an announcement or got a sign or got a witness indicating what the prophets had also foretold that the Messiah would not only come for Israel but also Gentiles like me and most of you. Thankfully we have some Jewish people in this church but most of us are Gentile. God loves you equally. But it's rather amazing that the Gentile magi saw the light of a star, and were drawn all the way to Jesus by that light, because Isaiah had said this in Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the who? Gentiles. To open their blind eyes. We don't know much about this star. We don't know a lot about it. But we, don't, we do know that these men studied stars. And by the way, stars are bright in the sky, especially when you ever get to a really dark place. I remember the time when I was at the Grand Canyon in high school, and it's so much dark, and it just, they light up. 
I told you last Sunday, it's my personal belief. I believe the scriptures kind of point in many ways and clues and, and, and also things that we know about um, historic aspects of Israel. Personally, I believe Jesus was born in the spring. I celebrate Christmas. I love to celebrate it. I love to celebrate it in the cold. I love the snow, all that kind of stuff. We don't really get it here, but other people get it. Uh, but it is possible that God kind of mapped a few things out. There's this other season going on right now called Hanukkah. You guys familiar with that? And the eight days of the candle burning. Hanukkah always falls in the exact same time frame. Today's the last day of Hanukkah, by the way. And Hanukkah's first day was last Sunday. Hanukkah always falls in the very end of November. It depends on because they're on a lunar calendar. It can be the very end of November, like, like the 29th or something like that, all the way to the near end of December. Depends on where the eight days fall. But Hanukkah is also called the Festival of Lights. And we know that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah as well. Uh, but Hanukkah was not any, you won't find Hanukkah anywhere in the Old Testament. It was not one of the given feasts. It was not commanded to the Jews because it came in the silent period under the Maccabean time. And that's when the temple was completely cleaned and then they had, they had no oil. But miraculously, a tiny bit of olive oil kept a lamp the menorah lit for eight consecutive days. And so it became known as the Festival of Lights. And Jesus commemorated it because in the book of John we see he goes in on what is called Hanukkah. It's not called Hanukkah in the book of John, but it's, we know it's Hanukkah, Feast of Dedication, uh, Feast of Lights. And it was common that they would have it just lit up there near the temple at the front. There was this massive gold menorah and it was just known as people this festival of lights, and it's interesting to me that when we think of Christmas time, we think of lights that we don't even know. We talked about this last Sunday. We have no idea when people started work uh, commemorating Christmas Day on December 25th. There's a lot of theories, but no one really knows. And we know that that was kind of started by the traditions of men, and Hanukkah was also started by men, but God kind of honored it because Jesus actually took part in it himself. So it's very possible to me if you take Hanukkah's festival of lights and our worship of Jesus coming in the world, and that the light, that the star was in the east, and you kind of take all these things together, that God might have said, you know, you guys don't even know why you're doing this, but it all converges around the light of the world. Isn't that kind of cool, that Hanukkah and Christmas and the light? So again, we don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll find out if any of these theories even hold up, or if God said, you're totally wrong about that. I'm not preaching that. I'm simply saying that these things seem to come in alignment and no one knows why they come into alignment, but there they are. Uh, but like I said, we don't know a lot about the star. We do know that these men studied the stars. And we know that they practiced astrology alongside the scientific work of astronomy. So the study of the stars was also their religion, but at the same time they also studied it from a scientific standpoint. But we do know this, that God used the star to draw them, this particular star. And we also know this about God. He seeks us when we weren't seeking him. Amen? I know that was true in my life. We could be searching stars. We could be searching the stores for sales. We could be searching for fulfillment. We could be searching in other religions. And we could be doing those things and find the Savior because he comes and finds us. Amen? I mean, all of you that have come to Christ, you have to look back and say, well, when I started, I really wasn't looking for Jesus. I was looking for this or that. 
but he comes and finds us. And if and when we have the desire for truth, we say, I, you know, I would come, I would give my life to Jesus if I just knew it was true. Well, he'll make that clear, won't he? God will reveal truth in ways that cut through any false belief or any of our misguided desires. While the Magi were searching the skies and they were studying the skies and they were mapping it all out, this star appears and it becomes a guide to them. They immediately knew this star was different than any other star they'd ever seen. Some have proposed that what the wise men saw was a phenomena that was part of the astronomical happenings and cycles that God used at just the right time. For example... The planets Jupiter and Saturn, which look like stars, but they're really planets, were known as the planet of rulers, the planets of rulers. And in those times, the constellation Pisces, which is two fish with a rope that kind of ties between the two of them, was associated with Israel and the land of Judea. And in 7 BC, and Jesus was born BC, not AD, different study if you want to go uh, look it up. In 7 BC, each of them came together in the heavens to kind of merge into a bright star. It would look like one. But the Magi, they understood that these planets that stood for the rulers and this constellation Pisces, which stood for Israel, they may have deduced that a ruler was coming or about something significant, some significant ruler was about to be born in the land of Judea. And it's proposed they also may have read Daniel's writings and may have been, even been influenced by Daniel because he had died there uh, in Babylon and Persia. And although I believe, I, I believe that God may have very well used all of that knowledge, the knowledge of the stars, the knowledge of what maybe Daniel had written, alongside any other studies, he may have used all of those things to heighten their attention. I remember before I got saved, I had numerous things that heightened my attention to when finally the girl who was cutting my hair says, I could get fired for this, but I, should, I need to invite you to church. Other people had already prepped the battlefield for me. And I believe that God could have very well used all these different things to get the Magi in a frame of mind that when God makes it crystal clear, they're like, drop everything, follow that star. Drop everything, listen to the gospel. But I believe that God had used these things to heighten their attention and perhaps to indicate to them that something significant was about to take place. And so they were on edge, like the heavens are speaking to us, something is about to take place. And I believe this unique star they saw and that they began to follow, I don't believe it was the convergence of Saturn and Jupiter. I believe those things could have been in parallel only to kind of add emphasis but I believe this was supernatural in origin. I don't have, in my view, and my opinion is not worth any more than yours, but I believe the scriptures, the way it's written, it seems to indicate, and all the other things that we can take a look at seem to indicate this was supernatural in origin, not just something that was phenomena that was part of normal astronomy. It may have even been, um, it certainly may have been a star, which is a bright light, that only they could see. How about that? It could have been a star that only they could see. Now, this is not the first time this has happened in Scripture. There was times when, you know, you could see the prophet. He sees a whole troop of flaming 
angels, and no one else sees them but him. There's times where people, Paul is talking to Jesus, and no one else can hear the words Jesus is saying, but Paul can hear them crystal clear. So this is not the first time that we see this in Scripture. Uh, it's very possible this star, as bright as it was, was only visible to these few men. And they could follow it just like you could follow GPS. I right, go here, down here. Finally, land right over Bethlehem. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. We don't really know. Certainly not everybody else was following it. Did you ever notice that in Scripture? Why isn't everybody saying, this massive star, because maybe everybody else couldn't see it. By the way, before you believe in the gospel, you're going to be with family members that still don't see what you're seeing. Well, at least you've found something that makes you happy. At least you found a crutch you can lean on. What the angels, we know this. Um, we don't know if everybody could see it, maybe just them. We do know that the angels appeared to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, and one other person, Zacharias. He also got Gabriel by name. Nobody else. The angels just came to that small group of people, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, and Zacharias. And speaking of angels, it's even possible that the star was an angel. Not just possible, very possible. Well, how, how, how could you say such a thing? Well, the host of heaven typically refers to stars in the scriptures, but it can refer to the host of angels in scriptures. We know this is true of Luke 137, and a heavenly host. Not only that, in Revelation 9:1, a star is specifically referred to in his angel. It's up on the screen. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Stars don't have hands. But this star was an angel, and to him was given the key. The same Greek word, aster. So it sometimes, well, almost always means a star, but it can mean an angel. Which is interesting because all the other announcements came from angels. Joseph, Mary, shepherds, Zacharias, all got an angel with the Gentiles possibly also. Wherever the star was that God placed in the sky, and whatever the star was, whether it was a star, whether it was one that other people could see, whether it was a star that only they could see, whether it was an angel that they could only see, we don't know. It was bright. It was magnificent. They followed it. These magi stopped all the routines of their lives to say, we got to follow this because it's moving. And if it's moving, we're moving with it. And if Jesus starts to move in your life, you start moving with him. They left everything behind to follow the star. Does that remind you of later some guys that just dropped their nets and follow? And they followed the star from the Middle East or maybe even the Far East. And some of those songs say from Orient. We don't know. They could have been from all the way far, far east. They could have been as far as China. No one really knows. So every little image you see of the wise men, you don't really know if they're accurate. But we know that they were not white Europeans like me because they came from the east. And unlike the shepherds, 
It wasn't a few minutes or a few miles. Remember the shepherds, they were in the fields right outside of Bethlehem. For them to say, go and find the baby, like, we can be there in 10 minutes. Tell the people from the Far East, hey, go and find, where is it? Follow the star. When we get there, you'll know when you get there. That was like Abraham got. So it was hundreds of miles away, if not thousands of miles away of a journey. When they arrive in Jerusalem, they cause quite the commotion. Herod was one of the rulers that ruled on behalf of the Roman Empire. He was part of the Roman structure under Caesar Augustus, but he was a king in his own right. Caesar Augustus gave him a ton of autonomy. It would be like being the governor of California, where California's got like 40-some million people, and you know, it's, it's, it dwarfs like Rhode Island or something like that, and being given total authority out there, which they kind of have. But anyway, that's a different story. But... Um, Herod had all this power that Caesar basically said, you can kind of run Palestine any way you want, as long as it kind of mapped back to Rome's priorities. Wherever the star um, was, it kind of takes them all the way to Jerusalem. And when they enter Jerusalem, as I said, they cause quite the commotion. We often see in the picture three wise men. We also see... You got, probably have your little nativity sets and the shepherds are there and the wise men. They weren't there on the same time, right? Remember, that's two years earlier. This comes the wise men. Was there three? Well, we don't know. That's usually three because of the gift listed gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that's why you often will see three wise men. We don't know the number. May have been many more and likely was many more. Not, uh, not, more than likely, it was quite a bit more. They would have had a large entourage, probably even because of the wealth they were carrying, probably even armed mercenaries or soldiers that would actually travel with them. So if they got attacked, they were able to fend that off. So I believe it was probably a pretty large contingent. Isaiah 60, verse 6, may be a prophecy related to the wise men. I'll put it up on the screen. In Isaiah 60, verse 6, it says this, The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now, I believe that this also uh, would be... A lot of prophecies in the Bible actually have more than one fulfillment. They actually have a repeating cycle. And so this would actually also refer all the way to Jesus sitting on the throne there. So it could come all the way full circle in the millennium, but it might have had its first kind of emphasis here at the first coming of the Messiah, and then would have a greater fulfillment at the very end when more kings of the world would come and bring their gold. But when Herod hears of their arrival, when Herod hears of their arrival, he's pretty excited about it, right? Not so, well, he's fine if they're coming to worship him, but he finds that they did not come to worship him. He's also fine if they're bringing him gold. They weren't bringing him. Herod's like, ah, oh, you guys have a lot of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Just leave it right here at the treasure. No, we didn't bring it for you. Well, who's it for? Another king that we've heard about has been born. Herod's like, tell me more about this person. You know, um, Herod has no idea that the promised Messiah has been living in his jurisdiction for almost two years now. He has no idea that a little king is being raised right under his nose. At one little town down from Bethlehem, uh, from Jerusalem is Bethlehem. And he inquires of the wise men, 
when the star appeared. He's like, let me kind of do, I want to do some backtracking on the timeline. When did you first see the star? Herod's a smart cookie. He immediately starts to put the pieces together. He then, then he brings all the chief priests and the scribes, those that know, they start rolling out the scrolls. They start reading from Genesis to Malachi. Tell me if these, if these wise men are right and there is a king to be born in the land of Judea, when is he supposed to be born? Who is he from? All that good stuff. And they knew he's from the line of David. They knew where he's to be born. They said he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. We read that in the text. They tell him where he's going to be born. And Herod then has a little secret meeting. He calls the wise men together, come to my private dinner party, whatever it is. He has a little secret meeting with them, kind of discusses with them, hey, hey you, guys, you guys look like you're really dedicated. You've come a long way to find this king. When, I'm going to let you go ahead and pass safely through. Go find him. Bring back word to me. I, too, want to worship him. Just like our politicians today, not even an ounce of truth in that statement. Not all of them. I mean, there's some good ones out there, so I'm not trying to paint that broad brush. I'm simply saying that it's not unusual to have people in high places that just lie a lot. Herod had no interest, none, in worshiping this Messiah. In fact, Herod was notorious, if you want to do a study on Herod, he was notorious for killing anyone, including many of his own family members, that he felt was a threat or he was even suspicious of. And we know from the rest of Matthew's account, if we read past where I stopped reading this morning, we know from the rest of the account exactly what Herod ends up doing, killing every baby boy in all of the, uh, all of the Bethlehem district under the age of two, murders them all. He was ruthless. He was evil. This is why Jesus came to the world, because sin was real, and it had turned into, it was murder all the way back to Cain. But the wise men, they leave Jerusalem, and they continue following the star. And it's just a little bit further down, several miles away, and they get to Bethlehem. And so again, I, well, I believe it's supernatural. If, if anyone could follow it, Herod could have sent his own guys. I personally believe no one else could see it. <laughs> There's like, what are y'all looking at? How, what are you following? Uh, it'd be like you having a smartphone and no one else having one, you know, and you being able to say, no, you, why don't you just listen to this? Well, I don't have one of those things, you know. But we don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll find out many details that we just don't understand. But at any rate, they continue to follow this star. Whether they're the only ones that can see it, we don't know. But for reasons we don't know, other than God's sovereign plan, Joseph and Mary, they have remained there in Bethlehem. And they've not returned to Nazareth. They've stayed in Bethlehem. And by the sovereignty of God and, and the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is waiting for their worship and their arrival. He's waiting for them. He, it's like a clock. That he can't leave and go to Egypt until they get there. Notice that when the wise men find Jesus, they immediately worship him. That's the first thing they do. Uh, and the worship is accepted. You don't see anything in there that says Joseph and Mary. Oh, no, you shouldn't worship him. And notice they don't worship Mary. For people that believe that is somewhere in the Scriptures, it's not. By the way, every other time in Scripture where someone is worshipped, either an angel or a person, like if the apostles were tried to be worshipped, or an angel, someone tried to worship the angels or apostles, say, no, 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 you cannot worship us, only God. But not in this scene. When they bow down, the worship is totally received, 
because Emmanuel is there, God with us. Their worship is demonstrative of their gratitude in finding this newborn king, the savior of the world, and the savior of their souls. They fall on their faces before Jesus, and they offer themselves as gifts, but then they offer these gifts to him to bless the son that's going to bless the world. Gold befitting a king, frankincense that was offered up by the priests in the temple, befitting of the high priest that Jesus would go on to be and is, and myrrh that would be used in his very burial, myrrh that was used in other burials, befitting of the sacrificial death that Jesus would end up dying, which was the entire reason that he came in human flesh. And you know the rest of the story. The wise men, they're, they're divinely warned, we read it, they're divinely warned not to return to Herod. They go back another way. They go back changed men. That just like the shepherds become witnesses of the Lord Jesus, but they become witnesses of the Gentile world, but the shepherds were witnesses in the Jewish world. Joseph, he's met in his dreams. If you go a little further, Joseph is met in his dreams by an angel, and he's instructed to take the child Jesus, to Egypt, following the footsteps of Abraham who went to Egypt, Joseph who went down to Egypt. And then he'll be called up out of Egypt like God's chosen son, Moses, who Pharaoh tried to kill when he was a baby. All these things come full circle. And Jesus would lead souls to heaven, whereas Moses would lead souls to the promised land of Israel. But here's the glorious news for us today. The promise still remains. Jesus remained there in Bethlehem. The promise still remains. Jesus is no longer in Bethlehem. He's no longer in Egypt. He's not even in Jerusalem, although he's going to be returning to Jerusalem. Uh, but he is waiting. He is awaiting people from the north, from the east, from the south, and from the west that will come and bow before him. Amen? He's waiting for people that will come anywhere and bow before him, and not to present precious gifts, but present themselves. In fact, the wisest thing we can possibly do, if you want to be a wise person, present yourself to Christ. Amen? Say, Lord, I give you my life, lock, stock, and barrel. And like the wise men, we won't go back the way we came. We'll go back different. He'll place us on a narrow path that leads us to heaven. Have you wisely given your life to Jesus who gave his life for your salvation and mine? And have, if you have done that, have you stopped worshiping and God's saying, you need to get back to worshiping? Have you stopped worshiping a while back? And like the wise men, it's time to stop everything and get before him. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we... Thank you again. We worship you again. We praise you again for your word is faithful and true. And Jesus, we know that the wisest thing we can ever do is give our lives completely to you. And we know that, Lord, you have put a light in this world. It's not a star in the east. Now it's the very gospel on the pages of Scripture. And Lord, the world has tried to stamp it out, but it cannot stamp out the light of the gospel any more than Herod could stamp out a star he couldn't even see, or if he could see it, it certainly didn't have the same impact. So Lord, we just pray that this morning, 
that your light, the light of your truth, the light of your gospel, the light of your son, uh, Lord, would illuminate each and every soul and life here, and Lord, that we would give ourselves readily and fully to you. And just before we close in prayer, we're going to close in song. Uh, before we stand, I, I just want to take the opportunity, if you're here today and you say, I, just, I, mean, I was just in town to open presents with family, but God spoke to me. I want to give my life to Jesus right this very minute on Christmas Day, the last Sunday of the year. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone at all, I don't want to take for granted that everyone here is already born again, which Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3. But if there's anyone at all, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Not My prayer can't save you. You're raising your hand. It's, just, it's faith that Jesus is your only way to heaven and call upon his name and asking him to cleanse you. Anyone at all, I'm going to give that opportunity. If we all know him, I pray that we would just re-gift our lives back to him for he's worthy of our total surrender. Amen? Why don't you stand as we close in worship?